All right, today's introduction was a mouthful, so I'm not going to repeat it here. Today, I had two wrestling greats on the show. I had Olympian and entrepreneur Buddy Lee, who came back to be co-host of Backpoints today, which is thrilling. Buddy Lee is also sponsoring today's episode. So if you want to get a jump rope for yourself or your team, go to BuddyLeeJumpRopes.com and use the affiliate code BACKPOINTS20. That's BACKPOINTS20 for 20% off any jump rope or jump ropes you want to buy. These are the best jump ropes in the world. I use one myself. If you're watching on video, you can see it right here. It's a beautiful jump rope. You know, you can see it spinning. You know, go out and get a Buddy Lee jump rope. If you're going to jump rope, and if you're an athlete, if you're a wrestler, you should be jumping rope. And if you're going to jump rope, you might as well use the best jump rope in the world. So get some self-respect. Go out, get yourself a Buddy Lee jump rope. Now, for today's guest, we have the great John Hanrahan. John has an amazing story, and I'm about to list his accomplishments once I start the show, so I'm going to repeat only a few of them here. GQ Magazine has featured him as the guy you should know for fitness. He's a world champion, freestyle veteran wrestler. He's the author of a great book called Wrestling with Angels. He's a top fashion model. And before all of this, he was a two-time state champion from Falls Church High School in Virginia. As always, please rate and review the podcast if you like it. And let's get rolling. He taught me to get up when I didn't want to get up when I wanted to quit. I had high goals, man. I've always had high goals. And so when I won it, I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, you guys are right. It's not the thrill of winning. It's the joy of having that personal goal and being able to achieve that and walk off the mat with your head held high and with your hand up. That just fueled my fire. And I was in every state championship match from there on. So I that was when I really started doing the kind of wrestling that I was capable of. Anybody that steps in the ring and just decides to commit the entire time is a state champion in my in my book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I still remember you, John, walking out with your chest out. <laughs> John Hanrahan <laughs> always had this chest. Boom. He's that yeah. like he was always like that, right? Don't exaggerate, buddy. Don't exaggerate. <laughs> Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of Back Points, the podcast where top wrestlers reveal their secrets for winning on the mat and beyond the mat. This is the first episode recorded in 2021, and I'm excited that we have a new format. I'm joined by with my co-host, the great Buddy Lee, U.S. Olympic wrestler from Virginia, businessman, an inventor of the most advanced jump rope on the planet, the foremost authority on jump ropes for conditioning. We're lucky today to be joined by another wrestling great, John Hanrahan. Just to name a few accomplishments, John is a United World Wrestling Veteran World Champion, won the gold in 2016. Before that, he was a two-time All-American for Penn State. And before that, he was a two-time state champion at Falls Church High School in Virginia. Outside of wrestling, John became one of the most successful personal trainers on, uh, in the country, a top fashion model, and the author of the book, Wrestling with Angels, about his 1985 near-death experience and return to life, which is available for order now. John, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you, Will. Thanks for that great introduction. It's great to be with you and my old friend, Buddy Lee. Yeah, man. Great to see you. You're looking great. Looking great. Thank you, guys. So when did, how did you guys first know each other? 
We stood next to, ne next to each other at the 1977 Virginia AAA State Championships in Richmond, Virginia. Yeah. I, didn't know, I didn't know Buddy before that weekend, but uh, I was cool. honored to stand amongst the group. Uh, Buddy was a senior, and I was a junior that year for Falls Church. And nice. then, then we started seeing each other at things like the Midlands, NCAA D1 events. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and you can never forget a name like that. Hanrahan. Amazing name. Just like Buddy Lee. <laughs> when people say, how, people say, Coach, how do you pronounce your name? I say, I do a little charades with them. I say, Hanrahan. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I love that. Hanrahan. Yeah, nice. Buddy, I bet you've never had to tell anybody how to pronounce your name. <laughs> Most people thinking I'm Chinese. If they don't see me, they think I'm Chinese. I had a Chinese guy ask me yesterday, so how did you get a name like Lee? You know, you got Chinese in your in your blood. And you know, so I just tell the story that yes, I'm related to Bruce Lee. <laughs> <laughs> so John, there's so much to talk about today, but your book came out in June, I think. How's that going? It's going really well. It's um it was just honored as one of the best books for 2021, uh, number one best new wrestling book by bookauthority.org. And so I was kind of honored to get that, even nice. though it was just a very challenging time um, for my publisher and I to launch a book. Uh, nothing like this has ever happened. We had a number of book events planned and in DC and Northern Virginia and New York City and Los Angeles and Miami, all the places that I've uh, lived and worked. And and then uh, I think the first one that we're going to be able to do is probably out in, in Vegas at the U.S. Open. We're trying to hopefully get the green light to do that. And so we'll do a, a live book event. And um, yeah, it's going real well. So I'm, nice. I'm excited about it. Here's a, a little picture of it. Uh, thing I love most, uh, I got my two sons on the back with me. Picture of us. Yeah, Nice, and, nice uh, cover, man. Nice. It's, so it's kind of a father-son story. It's kind of a, uh, it's just kind of a, an epic adventure in uh, modern American life uh, that has a lot to do with, with the scourge that hit our country, the uh, opioid addiction. You've um, mm -hmm. uh, met my sons, and uh, and they both say hi to you. You, when we were back, yeah. in, back in Northern Virginia, my, my wife, uh, I was told her yesterday we're going to be. Yeah. Podcast together, she said to sure to send her love to you and uh, yeah, we, I still buddy, recall. Buddy gave us an amazing performance on my back deck in Herndon, Virginia, when I was back in <laughs> back in D.C. with the jump rope, and then I brought him in. I was uh, managing and and training uh, a staff of thirty high end professional trainers. And like, yeah, your trainers. I remember that. Yeah, your trainers. Yeah, I had the opportunity to bring Buddy Lee in and. Uh, really give them a taste of uh, a great fitness tool that many of them were overlooking. So buddy and I go way back. Yeah. Cool. So how do kids, are they, they, back then they were grasshoppers, but how old are they now? They're in their twenties now. And um, yeah. my son, Colin, uh, just graduated film school in London. And luckily nice. he got his degree right before that pandemic set in because mm. uh, it would have been really tough having him over there and, uh, and not knowing what to do with getting to classes. And uh, he he actually had to produce films as a student filmmaker. And then wow. we were for the gala about a year ago, December, right before the pandemic. And 
it wasn't a typical graduation. It was awesome. It was like the a little mini Academy Awards at the British Film Institute. And they, they showed all the students' films and in a big auditorium with some uh, famous uh, British filmmakers in there. And then his film won the best picture of the whole event. So I was oh, really, nice to hear. I was really excited. It was like my son just won the NCAA championships or something. <laughs> as a wrestler dad, I, you know, as a wrestler dad, I was really excited uh, just to kind of see my son compete in that arena and just just to come out a winner. We were just thrilled for him. Nice to yeah. hear. All right, yeah. I can see him producing the uh, making the book a uh, uh, film. Right, a movie. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, and he really wanted to share his story uh, with me because um, when I first began writing my uh, my memoir, my manuscript for this book, it was uh, it was really something that happened to me in 1985. I was 25 years old, and uh, I incurred a near death experience. I was actually uh, had a lethal injection that was an, administered by a physician that was. A physician, wow. a physician in New York City, they ended up in jail for manslaughter about a month later in a different situation. But wow. the story has all kinds of twists and turns. And in 1985, when after I um, transcended this physical life, my soul pulled out of my body and went in front of the creator. And it was um, it's really it's hard to describe in an instance. That's why I knew I had to write the book when I returned to life. And so mm -hmm. that. My book is a culmination of that. And and really it's a, it begins, I began writing it as a kind of a life review because when you have an experience like that, you may have heard a number of people talk about NDEs, near-death experience. You really can kind of see your life in an instance. You go beyond a realm of time and, uh, and it's just uh, amazing to kind of be filled with the truth and, truth and love of the creator. And so I began to write my story uh, and it took me many years to kind of put it together. But it, it begins as a life review growing up as a kid in Northern Virginia and a big Irish Catholic family. But then something happened along the way before the book was finished. My older son, Colin, who I call Connor in the book, uh, used a different name, even though he wanted to tell his story. Uh, and he wanted to share it to help others. Uh, he was a high school wrestler. He went back into wrestling. He did it as a youth and uh, mm -hmm. went back in, made the high school team, and then uh, broke his leg in an event. Well, all of a sudden, he got put on those prescription opioids, and uh, mm -hmm. that prescription led to a deep addiction, something that we would have never imagined. He wasn't like a crazy kid like me, buddy, running around Northern Virginia partying <laughs> and stuff. He was like nose to the grindstone book at straight A's and didn't hang out with with uh, raucous crowds or do much that anything raised any red flags. So my book's are kind of a cautionary tale for any family in America uh, that is in the suburbs of Atlanta or anywhere that can yeah. have their sons or daughters or spiral into this uh, scourge that's hitting America. And so it's oh, a cautionary yeah. tale about that. And it's about how he overcame it too. And he had some really close encounters with that. Then it's how it really tests a family's faith and uh, a husband and wife's partnership because it puts so many stressors on it and it's, it's hard to stay together. There's a lot of blame that goes back and forth that yeah. uh, separates wow. so many families. So it's a testament to, I think my wife for, uh, you know, she's been amazing through this whole journey so much mm -hmm. so that we, 
that we founded a nonprofit in hopes of helping other families. We call it recoveryangel.org, and it's a 501c3. And we've helped in the past year about 25 25 commitments to treatments and sober living homes that uh, have been helpful. And it's a small nonprofit, but it's something that we hope that it grows and our, the proceeds of my book go to help that. Wow. D- does that uh, help people in your community or is it people anywhere? It's helped people uh, uh, farther away in the Northeast. Uh, just um, My wife counsels many uh, family members and helps them to kind of get take the first right steps and to really kind of have faith and hold it together because wow. It's it's it can really tug at your heart and kind of tear you apart because uh, relapse is such a common denominator in individuals recovery. And you've got these parents that are spending so much out of pocket and then with hope that the kids will get it right. And or, you know, young adults and all of a sudden they hit a relapse and it's really a real test. And you start to, you know, not to understand that it's a disease and it takes continual treatment. Yeah. So it's um, it's challenging. It's tough, um, but it's it's uh, a worthy endeavor. Wow. So this so you had this near death experience in 1985. That's part of that's part of the book. And then and then it also tells your your son's story, which would have occurred, I'm guessing, you know, 15 years later, something like that. Yeah. His his uh, his occurred. uh 11 years ago wow. was the brunt of his. And, uh, and, uh, during that time, uh, we packed, we packed up and got out of the area. We did everything we could. I took a job running, um, 24 hour fitness's largest health club on Irvine, California for a year. And, uh, just thought we needed to just get away. But then, uh, he was doing well out there and relapsed and it was just kind of, we were just kind of on our last leg and, uh, and it's kind of kind of uh, just an odyssey that we've been on, but it's one that uh, by the grace of God, he's come through it and uh, wants to share his his message as a young adult to help others that are going through this. Do you know um, in, t- in a 10 year period, we lost more souls in America to to the scourge of opioids and deaths of despairs or how they're classified by the Institute mm-hmm. of Health than we did in uh, all the wars outside the Civil War. Over over 700,000 have died in a 10-year period. And now it's been brushed under the carpet with the, all the focus on the pandemic. And yeah. Yeah. individuals aren't getting treatment. They're isolating. And, and, and um, yeah. when that's come out for 2020, it's going to be staggering of, uh, how much uh, and now with the laced fentanyl that's coming in with uh, China and and all these different situations that are just yeah. escalating it, so um, it'll be on the front burner again soon. Well, that's amazing. Well, yeah, it's a powerful story. Yeah, it's, I'm looking forward to getting the book. Um, when is the book available, John? It's available um, wherever you get your great books. It's uh, came out June 16th, so it's. Uh, it is available. Amazon.com. Wrestling with Angels by John Hand. Okay, it's on Amazon. That's great. And yeah. this uh and the uh I think the nonprofit, that's gonna be awesome. Recoveryangel.com. No, dot org. Recoveryangel.org. Yes, sir. Dot org. 
and people can just go there and they can donate. You got a place on there where they yeah, can donate. They click to donate in. And uh, so those are any donations are always appreciated to help this effort. And, and uh, proceeds from my book go to help the effort as well. So, uh, you know, for me, something that anchored me later in life, uh, you know, after my near death experience, it took me a while to kind of get back into wrestling. And it wasn't until I met my wife, Kirsten, on a, um, on a shoot for Vogue magazine out in Las Vegas by one of the top photographers in the world. And uh, he had booked both of us and some other guys. And, and uh, he wanted guys that looked like fighters and stuff. So there were some, some young professional boxers there. And then uh, mm -hmm. a number of the top female male model, female models. And, uh, and I met my wife, Kirsten on that shoot. And then we'd run into each other. We both working in Milan and Paris and, and slowly we, slowly we became, uh, better acquainted and married her and have my two sons and uh just awesome. kind of cinderella story with that so that was yeah. cool. great things and that all came about when i was wrestling for penn state against lehigh on a match that was televised a, a prominent agent up in new york city just happened to be channel surfing and and stopped and saw the chiron under my name when i was uh getting ready to step out against lehigh it's at john hanrahan falls church virginia and then, he called directory assistance. And from there, I, I started getting booked for these big campaigns up in New York. So it was kind of cool the way all that happened and uh, fell into that. But wrestling became an anchor for me later because my wife had never known me as a wrestler. So, so mm -hmm. before, I think it was right after we got married, I stepped back in and entered the New York AC Open. And you know that tournament, buddy. Yeah, and, yeah, up in New York. And for years, I was their number one guy, and I kind of felt like I'd let them down in 84. And uh, so I came back, and Sonny Greenall invited me back in, and I ended up winning the uh, New York AC tournament. I think it was 1991, so my wife had never seen me as a wrestler. So she spent the day there kind of watching me battle it out and get my black and blues and and uh, yeah, that's right, man. all those scars. And so then she knew me as a wrestler, and uh, – yeah. And it wasn't until later when I was training some very high-end clients at La Palestra in New York City that part of really my mission was to help individuals lock onto a goal that they wanted to accomplish. So the training became kind of a, a path to itself. It wasn't about looking better in the mirror, just the aesthetics. I wanted, I wanted my clients to accomplish things. So New York Marathon was a big one that we had many of them do and train for that and just, uh, you know, a year and a half of, of work. And then when they crossed that finish line and we and we gave them a great celebration at the facility, which was uh, right on Central Park West, you know, it was just amazing to see the results in people's eyes. And uh, I did that for Hollywood clients and uh, all kinds of clients. It helped one woman climbed Mount Everest and all kinds of unique adventures that we started to infuse in clients training. So, so that, you know, now you see that's kind of gravitated with what they do in CrossFit and the Spartan runs and things like that. And it really makes yeah. sense to help people accomplish things that are they're, that they're able to hold on to, you know, because wrestling for me was something I've always held on to and it helped yeah. ground me and it truly has become a martial art type of, practice for me just to kind of uh, uh, creates a sense of fellowship with the, the guys that I work out with at the local club that we that uh, 
that we have a veterans club and we get, and now with the advent of mixed martial art, you got them coming out, coming out, out of the woodwork, all Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys. I want to know, yeah. know how to get a takedown, right, buddy? That's right. Yeah, man. Yeah. So we just having a kind of amazing fellowship here with this group that we have in Atlanta. And now, once I entered the veteran or they in the U.S., they call it the Masters National Champion. Masters, yeah, Masters, yeah. So I went out to Vegas to do that, and I met a whole group of uh, U.S. guys uh, that are part of that. So it's amazing. And then I uh, then I tried my hand at the World Championships. And it, it's amazing the level of competition that you'll have there. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, first time I went out there, I lost to uh, three-time Olympian Jose Betancourt, real tough. And then so I, I kind of renewed my effort and came back the following year and won the championship and dethroned a guy that they thought couldn't be beaten, uh, Will, Willem Putter, a uh, 10-time veteran world champion. So, oh, my gosh. So that, so that was uh, that was rewarding for me to, to get that and to uh, kind of yeah. exercise the demons of my past, so to speak, buddy. Yeah, the amazing John Han Rahan. <laughs> John, let's ask something. Well, let's go back down to memory lane. Lane back in 1977, you won that state title. Yeah, against I who? Remember, I remember like yes, relive it, relive it. Oh my God, That's, there's so much to relive with that. But um, <laughs> you know, it was crazy that. Um, I had the flu that whole week. And so I was wrestling 155. The year before I had placed third in the state as a 126 pounder. And I was sucking weight and I, wow. uh, and I lost in a um, referee's decision overtime to the champ from Minchville, Yang Li, another league. Yeah, so close and it was a judge's decision. And as a 10th grade, I was like, ah. Oh. So he just crushed the guy from fi- in the finals. And I was like, oh, man, I deserved Why, well, you know, part, one of the things as a wrestler is like, you know, you you need to know in those times of tough battles that I deserve to be here. And, uh, and there's there's nobody that's going to stop me. So um, from, there, from there, you know, I, I knew that I deserved to be there in the finals and stuff. But I knew what I what I knew that I didn't deserve to do was to cut 20 pounds to make that weight. So the following year, I was like, I'm not cutting, sucking that weight again. So I, I moved up to 155, which, you know, three weight classes kind of turned a lot of heads, but I was having fun that year. Just there was something to that. I was pretty lean as it was too, but I, I didn't want to make that big weight suck again. Um, but, you know, I had the flu. So I, I, I showed up um, five pounds under and, uh, I was an, an underdog for that tournament uh, because in the regionals, I had been upset in the regional tournament. Mm-hmm. And this this part of the story is in my book, but not about the uh, the loss that I suffered the next day. It was crazy situation. My, my sister had a friend. I have four older sisters. Had a sister, had a friend whose who's, uh, friend killed somebody in a fit of rage. And he ended up on our doorstep. And this was the night before the regionals. And uh, it was just crazy. And then I was uh, trying to sleep for that tournament and stuff. But the guy, my father 
calmed that guy down and took him down to Fairfax County Police and had him turn himself in. And, uh, you know, and, and, right. and, you know, they acted as kind of a character witness for him during his trial and everything. So that was kind of a crazy th memory from that week. And then that next morning I had lost to a guy from Hayfield uh, in a close match. And, and then I came back the next day and beat him for the bronze. So I'm going into that state tournament as a lower seed. And so yeah. and plus I have the flu. And so I got the best guy from the Virginia Beach region, guy from Great Bridge who was the champion. And he didn't know what hit him that night because uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, even though I was sick, I knew I just blew through this guy. And uh, that's that's really what happened. So uh, I just blew through that tournament. I joined you in that uh, state champion picture there the next day with you that's and right, Bobo, man. Bobo Ricks. And, uh, yeah, we had some amazing wrestlers. Great, great Coliseum. Great to have him at the uh, University of Richmond and that beautiful Coliseum and, uh, you know, all the best of the best there in the state and, yes. and pretty much one division back then. So that's wow. my memories. And, uh, you know, so that was great. I And then I repeated that championships at 155 the next year. Yeah, uh, and uh, during that summer, right after that junior year, I, I made it to the AAU National High School Finals and uh, got back to the uh, high school national finals uh, summer of my senior year for United States Wrestling Federation, Iowa City. But in the meantime, I, I got my share of recruiting visits. Um, Wade Shalas recruited me at Clemson, and mm. uh, Stan Desick was the assistant at Michigan State. And then there was a guy I didn't know about how great he was. Andy Matter was the assistant coach at Penn State. And, mm. and they started recruiting me late in the game, and I didn't know much about Penn State, but uh, after one weekend trip up there, I knew that's where I wanted to wrestle. So uh, I wanted to, you know, work as hard as I could and wrestle in a venue where people show up and they're knowledgeable and they support all the hard work and effort that you put in. And that's what I got at Penn State. Nice. And, uh, and I um, got my spot there my freshman year and never lost it and uh, qualified for four NCAA championships and all-American and two of them uh, behind the Schultz brothers in both of those podium appearances. Mm. So I got behind two Olympic champs uh, and the founder of the Penn State 100 Win Club. So I'm the first ever to surpass uh, 100 wins. So when all these superstars nowadays, like uh, Bo Nichols, I saw him at the Southern Scuffle win, win his 100th match and I I told him, welcome to my 100 Win Club. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the founder. <laughs> That's Very pretty cool. cool. So you were behind. So you wrestled behind Dave and Mark Schultz. I was, uh, yeah, same weight class with uh, Mark, my junior year, and uh, Dave, my senior year. I lost out in the final junior world trials against Mark. Is the only time we wrestled um, my junior year. I think it was uh, at the uh, final training camp for junior world team and. Mark beat me two to one in that match. And that's uh, what I thought it was close match. I think I recall seeing you wrestle one of the top guys and it was very, very close. Yeah, well, uh, we were we all were made friends. I'm I'm still friends with Mark. We keep in touch. And uh and I went down at age 36. I uh, I was talking to you guys about having my clients lock onto a, a goal and train for it. Well, at age 36, I did that with the Olympic trials. And went back through. Turned out I had Rico Ciparelli and John Jura in New York City to train with. Yeah. 
facility. So I, I kind of just did a shock and awe to my body first two, three weeks of training, just, you know, couldn't walk and really got back into high level wrestling shape and, uh, had those guys in my corner along the way, went down to train. They both were out of Fox catcher. So I went down yeah. there and got to brought my wife and kids down there. So they got to see that whole, uh, craziness down there. Uh, when I'd go down there to train Alinsky, Greg Alinsky, one of my college teammates was there and his wife and, uh, and, uh, so when Dave got murdered, it was uh, we knew right away who did it, and because we had heard all the stories, and and I was able to get Diane Sawyer was one of the clients I was training up in New York City, and get her the exclusive interview with Nancy. Uh, she was in the next day because she knew I knew Dave, and so I called Alinsky, and Alinsky hooked it up with Nancy Schultz to to uh, come up and do the exclusive interview about the whole situation. And, yeah. uh, and then, so then I competed in those trials against uh, representing uh, Nancy Schultz's club, the Schultz yeah. club. And, and I did beat some young N NCAA champ there. Ray Miller beat him from Arizona state. He was probably 20 years younger than me. And, and so it was just great to be back as a wrestler at that level. Got to the yeah. final of the, uh, regional event the olympic trials regional event in brockport so that was cool yeah man you know, and so i never wanted to get out of wrestling shape after that after you yes. know and so i've always kept it like i said as, a, as my own martial art and then um, competed at the veteran venue so no bad injuries or anything no shoulder injuries hip injuries <laughs> knee injuries <laughs> no i think i mean i've had some wear and tear in the joints and uh uh, but all in all, it's uh, it's nothing I want to complain about. Yeah, that's amazing that you're staying in great shape, man. Thank you. I salute you. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I do want to ask. So you were basically one of the top wrestlers in the state by by the time you were a sophomore in high school. Uh, first of all, what about your freshman year? And then and then when did you get started in wrestling? OK, yeah, uh, I got started in in second grade, I did uh, boys club football in first grade and just in our neighborhood was just, uh, man, we were always just staying physical, playing, playing like uh, pickup football and just, you know, heavy duty tackling. And, and then our neighbor, he, he ran like a Texaco station down on Route 50 and he, uh, he piled us all in the back of his pickup truck and we all of a sudden I was in an organized football team. And, uh, uh, and then the following fall, the next fall, I got the, the flyer came to the school I was at and I brought it home and I was so excited. And I said, mom, I know what I'm going to do my next sport. And I said, boxing, I'm going to do boxing. And I was like, so excited. And uh, she steered me away from that because, uh, but I had my mind made up, but it took her like a few go be, go arounds between me and her that she said, she looked on the sheet and saw wrestling. So she steered me towards that. Turned out she had been to a, uh, an event at Naval Academy uh, on a, like a blind date or something. And she really kind of thought it was a cool sport, I think. And so I kind of uh, credit my mom for steering me into the world's greatest and oldest sport, which was cool. That's but then, so in, so I grew up doing boys clubs in second grade, first in the Annandale boys club. And then I got a letter almost, uh, it was a recruiting letter, 
recruiting letter by uh, Roger Rinker for his uh, Braddock Road Boys Club that competed in this Capital Area Beltway League. I didn't know it existed, but <laughs> but I went in and I, I went on that team and you had to wrestle off to make the team. And, and you made that team, you were wearing these blue and gold silk robes and, uh, you know, the, the beautiful singlets and... Uh, and you're competing against guys, you know, at the highest level of that age group. So I did that. And uh, from that group uh, that came out of there, these guys that came out of that club sprinkled around Northern Virginia high schools, and they were all pretty competitive at the state level. Um, I, I made the varsity right away my freshman year, wrestling for Falls Church at 112 pounds. And uh, then I lost to my good friend, Sam Smith, over the Christmas break. We had one wrestle-off. His brother, Donnie, was a state champ and was wrestling on a D1 team at Indiana State. And so uh, uh, he came from a great wrestling lineage out of our neighborhood. And I lost that one match to him, and I never got a, a second wrestle-off for the rest of that year. And so I just I just tore up everybody in any kind of JV event and just uh, – and just kind of smoldered there for for that whole season, and it wasn't. So it wasn't. So it was when I got the opportunity that following year, I was just like, I'm going to make the coach regret that making that decision. You know, how things build up in you, buddy. You just yeah. you you lock on to things to burn. That was probably the best thing that could happen to me, really, because you channeled uh, energy into wrestling. Harder. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's it's great to kind of prove people wrong, right? When yeah. you look back. I remember right before the NCAA semifinal event, somebody coming up to me and, you know, and you're in that, you kind of glazed over look when you kind of get your mind ready to step on the mat in a moment like that. But I remember a guy coming up to me, Oh, John, you're doing so great. I always knew you could do it. <laughs> and I just remember just halfway acknowledging, but thinking to myself, I mean, that guy always said, it, told me I was never going to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Everybody jumps like that. Once you start winning, yeah. So let me ask you. I like to ask something um, in regards to your coach. What kind of relationship did you have with your high school coach, and did he have a a, a great impact on you as a as a young athlete, student athlete? Absolutely. He is an amazing man. Just uh, really instilled all the traits that are great about wrestling. Uh, Steve Wilcox is his name, Dr. Steve Wilcox. And just to wrestle for him was just amazing. He, he never left any stone unturned in our preparation. And he, he'd do whatever he thought was best for us. Like, so, um, so what inspired me when I was like 12 years old was seeing Dan Gable win that, that gold medal, right? And then probably like four years later when I was a young kid, he took me up to watch the NCAA Nationals. They were at Princeton that year. So just the fact that he did that for me and a few other guys really planned the seed for me. Uh, and then after the first session, he goes, now this is where, this is where what's really valuable. He took us down to the resting room between sessions. And there he was, Dan Gable. Dan Gable with a crowd around him. He was showing techniques and, uh, you know, somebody mm -hmm. on the old time Super 8 you know, filming him and everything. And, and so when that, when he finished showing that move, he, I had, I went up to him, I said, 
do you want to go take downs, Mr. Gable? No, that's all right. And I sat against the wall, dejected. But then he, he, I watched him wrestle for about an hour and just drenched in sweat and going through people. Then he came over to me, grabbed me by the wrist. He goes, let's go, kid. So I'll never forget that. My coach made things like that happen. Let's go some takedowns, kid. And so uh, I credit Steve Wilcox for giving me those opportunities, getting me out to – you know, my parents, uh, they always supported me, but they weren't the kind of parents that uh, would kind of manage a wrestler. Like we had six kids in our family. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was not easy to get out to those national events, but uh, yeah. my high school coach made that happen for us uh, a few times. And that really, really helped to get noticed by some of the big schools and, you know, out nationwide. And so I credit him with that. He's in the Virginia Hall of Fame now. And, I'm so proud of him, and we keep yeah. him You know, I get uh, since I've written my my story too. I get so many heartfelt notes every week from people I've known in the sport, and uh, he's one of them that sent me just some endearing messages. Nice uh, to hear. So he's great, and you know, it's funny after that um, when Gable came up to me and said, "Come on, kid, let's go takedowns." I was about fifteen, just. Um, Three or four years later, I, I just finished my freshman season at Penn State. I was um, I didn't place in NCAs, but I got named as the top freshman at 167, uh, 167 pounds for Amateur Wrestling News. And I got picked to be the clinician for Gable's Clinic in Pittsburgh. And now I'm I'm wrestling with him between sessions, and uh, he's going out of the room to get his mind right, and we're going at it, bad, you know, just battling back and forth. It wasn't wow. like playing around so it's funny and that's the great thing about wrestling that the stars are accessible you know that if you're in this sport you're going to meet those idols you're going to meet those guys that you can say to yourself man i met him and uh he you know he's real and in my mind and uh he works hard and you get that same type of work ethic you can be somebody in the sport too so that's it's that's cool about this sport you know you can meet kids these days they can meet you know, Jason Knopf or Bo Nickel or just uh, any of those superstars in the sport. What about your drive, man? What did you get that internal motivation? Did you have it? Did somebody, you know, spark it? Or- I think I had it. I think I had it. I, th- I think I kind of got enough, mm. enough of a, an obsessive nature to just be relentless, you know, in things. And what age? What age you think it you you notice this this drive to always be I better? Was, I think it was like second third year of boys club football that um, that I was hitting so hard that I was breaking face masks, and the coach would like you know instead of getting mad, he would just start laughing and like howling and yelling to everybody, hey, "Look at this guy!" <laughs> you know, and so. Uh, I like that praise. And, you know, I, 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 it's the kind of kid I'd want to run through a brick wall for for, uh, for a coach and um, who's trying to give me that right direction and everything. Uh, but I think, you know, um, for me, really what it was is just uh, wrestling became just kind of an avenue for me. It was kind of uh, it just kind of became my my little stage where if I worked hard, I can show up and be the closest thing to you know, uh, 
rock star, if you will. I mean, every kid has a dream of, and in our high school, it was like basketball. It was like Penn State. Penn State basketball always sucked. So wrestling was the winter sport. Same with my high school, Falls Church. Basketball always sucked. They were the worst. But with wrestling, they'd pack it in. They'd turn off the house light, put the spotlights on. And, you know, we had intro music even before anybody did in that whole state or region. Even even so much when we go to visiting teams, I'd bring my little cassette recorder. I'd tell the guy at the microphone table, hey, when we come out to warm up, just press play and put the microphone right up. <laughs> so we'd go wrestle over at Marshall High School or somebody, and the home team would look, and they'd see us warm up. We have house music. We're playing Bob Marley. <laughs> That's smart. And you know, great experience, great experience, man. So being part of the group, you know, from my neighborhood, let's say in my neighborhood, I was thinking this morning, we had six state titles come out of a three block radius called Broyhill Park. Mm -hmm. Six state titles and a, a number of bronze medals and, and uh, other place winners just come out of that right, that little hotbed area. So at the time it was like, it was the thing to do. And uh, so if you did it, you wanted to, you wanted to have some bragging rights. You wanted to be good at it. And you wanted the older guys that had already been state champs to kind of say, yeah, the kid's done good, you know? So well, I know a lot of guys can't see your wrestling from the past. Maybe they can see it on, on YouTube, but how would you describe yourself as a wrestler? When they think of John Hanrahan, what do you think comes to mind? I mean, what kind of wrestler? Kind of, uh, you know, Penn State, Penn State Rich Lorenzo. It was kind of a father figure too, and uh, I credit him. But he, he'd see me as kind of a, he'd call me a Tasmanian devil, just between me and him, and and uh, and yeah. uh, so I mean, just relentless, just kind of in their face, and always uh, just on my feet, really aggressive, and I had enough Greco and. Freestyle experience. When I was 16, I made a team that got to compete in in East Germany and Poland, and uh, and and so I had a, I had this arsenal of throws. So that's that what I remember throws. That's why I yeah. thought you were the Greco guys because I I recall you being an amazing thrower. So, so when I, yeah. So when I um, so when I hit a, a headlock, it would it would be kind of put the guys' heels on the ceiling and make all the people recall say, ooh, no. So there was nothing better than that, right? And uh, so from that freshman year, I, I made the final Greco trials. And uh, after my freshman year for the U.S. team. But then I, I just had to, I, I had to make I had to make a decision whether I'm going to stay kind of Greco orientated or kind of be the best I can in folk style. And I really had to make that conscious decision going into my second year at Penn State because I was I was forgetting about opponents' lake attacks and it just wasn't having had my um, well-rounded game. So I think I think that that's why you see so many uh, great American wrestlers stick with freestyle during it during the off season. And I that's pretty much what I ended up having to do, even though yeah. I love I love to throw and uh, Yeah, you would have been uh, great, amazing Greco guy. You would have been amazing world champion or something because yeah. you were a natural. I, it's fun to it's fun to learn how to throw. I think, and as you you know, you as a Greco Olympian, to me, I always see the expression of those throws are just like the ultimate artistic expression in the sport of wrestling, the ancient ancient sport of wrestling. So it's something that I've always 
you know, I've always wanted to emulate and trying to be part of when I was a kid. And I, and I saw that that was possible that to go from an arch onto your forehead and take a guy with you. That was just like the ultimate expression. And well, so I, like that. Well, I got to admit, I, you know, I wasn't a thrower in Greco. I, I modified my freestyle. <laughs> I modified my freestyle and I beat the guys with that new Greco because they didn't know how to wrestle a freestyle. So I modified yeah. it with, uh, with the Lieberman's duck yeah. to a body attack. And I used to do quick arm drags and then the throws, they came from when I was on top. Then yeah. I would pick the guys up and do five pointers. But That's you, fun. man, I still recall you just being a natural thrower. You would have just been amazing in Greco. Sorry, I missed you on the team, man. You would have been there on 92 <laughs> with me. Thank <laughs> of course, you had to be Dan Henderson. <laughs> Thank you. Dan Henderson. Thought, you know, it's we later got Enrico Ciprelli ended up starting an MMA gym. We did that together in California. So we had guys like Dan Henderson and Randy Couture in yeah. part of our fight team called Raw Real American Wrestling at the time. And uh, so I was in the cage with those guys. And, uh, you know, so just an amazing time because as everything kind of played out the way I always argue with New York City cab drivers. They tell me about, like, a pro wrestler and all this stuff. Like, Come on, man. Freak, man. They bring you know what a wrestler can do. So MMA gave us the venue to show what our wrestlers can That's do. That's exactly right. So I, I always like to ask, did you ever want to quit wrestling? Um, you know, I don't think I ever wanted to quit. I, I had kind of a, a real depressing time. I started off my season of my senior, my freshman year at Penn State. I was won my first college tournament. I won the first few dual meets and uh, and uh, got ranked and beat a top three guy from Cal Poly. And uh, then I, I lost, and then I lost again. <laughs> then I lost again, and it's tough to pull out of. I had five straight losses, and uh, you know what? There's no easy way in the sport, and it's it's why you sometimes you'll see a highly recruited kid, you know, transfer right away or start to blame it on this or that. And yeah. uh, but you know what? In this sport, you just you got to get up and you got to face it. And uh, there's no easy way to dig out of it because uh, yeah. you, you might have two or three days coming the next as you got the defending Eastern champ and all this and that, and you're starting to doubt yourself. And so I had five, a period of five straight losses. I talk about that in my book. That's, um, you know, it was a real depressing time. But I appreciated one of my teammates, Dan Faust in particular. He was, um, he was a great wrestler and uh, really close battles with Mike Brown and Lieberman. And uh, he would – he just laughed at me after I had a couple of those losses. And he knew me. He was the guy I stayed with on my recruiting trip. Just a real vivacious – character individual and he could they called me boy john boy because um or boy wonder i'd like boy wonder but they call him they just call me boy and he goes boy boy what are you gonna do look at the schedule and just laugh at me like how are you gonna deal with this guy in two or three days so they didn't sugarcoat it and say like oh that's okay john you'll get him next time because it wasn't like that there were some things that needed to be that need to be worked on and some things that you need to show up differently because you weren't going to get them next time. And that's the thing about the sport. It's real. And it's just like, it's relentless. Yeah. And if you don't step in there and you overcome uh, 
those obstacles, uh, you know, it's it's just uh, in your face is what it is. So uh, I didn't want to quit, but you know what? I was it was it was a little depressing. Yeah, that's when I think about a time about a depression. I think about that. You know. It's interesting talking about that five run loss, losing streak you had and being depressing. And, you know, I think about that in business because, you know, I meet a lot of people starting companies and most people, you know, they don't realize how they're going to have a few early successes and then it's going to get tough. And, you know, they don't want to stick with it after, you know, when, when you if it's tough for a year or if it's tough for half a year, or if it's tough for two years, you know, most people quit. You know, they, you know, they leave and then, you know, you got to make it through that difficult period and then you get out on the other side of it. Some people call it the dip. You know, you're, you've got, you start out and, you know, you, you know, you're on this upward trajectory and boom, you know, you, you got to spend some time down in that chasm. And uh, if you do that, things are golden for you on the other side. Absolutely. I think it's really where an individual or, or if you're trying to manage individuals, it's, it's really where you learn about yourself and you and you kind of learn about really what type of fortitude you have because um, that's what it takes, I think. Um, that's why I always kind of um, looked at baseball players and admired them somewhat because they have to fail so much and deal with failure and then step back up there, you know, because mm. that's tough to kind of uh, strike out a few times, strike out a few times and to always step back in there with some confidence. So. That's interesting kind of admire what they do in that sport. Well, I, have a, I had a different mindset back then. Uh, I, you know, I have to admit, I never lost five in a row. It'd just be one or whatever. And uh, I never looked at a loss as a loss. I looked at it as an opportunity for me to gain knowledge on how to be better. And so when I looked at it that way, what it did was create more motivation for me to work harder and smarter to beat my opponents. And um, John, I like to, you know, I think uh, people, you know, you as a wrestler, I, I wanted you to talk a little about how the, the skills that you learn from this amazing sport, our greatest, the greatest sport on the planet, and how you use those skills later to become a successful businessman, a successful um, father, husband, and, um, and, 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 and what you're doing today. Let's talk about that. The skills, life skills, the skills you learn from wrestling, what is how you apply them to what you're doing today in business and things you're doing? Absolutely. Well, you know, from the times I've uh, managed uh, health clubs and great groups of fitness professionals, I think that uh, a lot of that carries over of what the coaches have instilled in us over the years when just kind of breaking down from a technical standpoint, but just always. I think the common ingredient is just infusing positive motivation. And uh, it's something that I've been blessed with having coaches that have infused that with me, you know, even the times that uh, you could be down after a loss. You always had a coach that could be real with you, kind of uh, just let you know you're still in your corner and kind of push you to be your best. And if you, and if you uh, wanted to put that extra work in, if somebody is always there for you. And so that's what I try to be. Um, from personal training standpoint, something that I kind of, that I've uh, kind of been involved with for a number of years, whether it's training 
celebrities, VIPs, uh, professional athletes. It's really kind of from the person you're trying to push knowing that you wouldn't put them through anything that you wouldn't put yourself through. So uh, I think having a little bit of cauliflower ear helps that for <laughs> for them to kind of know that you kind of kind of face the grind yourself. Yeah, and, that's right, man. It's our trademark. <laughs> but it was uh, a, a strength coach that I had assigned to me at Penn State, Dan Riley. Uh, I was I didn't like going in the weight room. I didn't like doing that. And I didn't like the mentality of guys like yelling at each other, come on, get this rep and calling them derogatory names. So I was like, you know what? My high school coach gave me the key to the weight room and it let me, I knew I needed to do the extra work. But then at Penn State, it was like, no, you don't understand, John. You have to go see the strength coach. That's and I was right. dreading seeing him because uh, he, he, I know he was a beast. And, uh, you know, he, he only worked with the football team, but he wanted to work with the wrestlers because he knew he could push them. So uh, so I was pr pretty much looking back. I was honored to have him as my personal strength coach. Dan Riley put me through that 30-minute workout and every workout thereafter with the most intensity that was possible for me physically, genetically. He let me know that, you know, you know, your parents gave you a genetic gift and, and uh, you can only do so much with it, but make the most of it. And uh, I took his exercise science classes and uh, he kind of inspired me to do what I do. But the common ingredients, when I finished that session, I couldn't walk the next day because, you know, shock and all. But mm -hmm. you know what? Every second of it, he let me know he was with me along the way. Every rep, every middle of every rep, even though when he's throwing high intensity negatives at me, he infused me with good positive motivation. He let me know mm -hmm. I'm hard he knew i was working hard it made me want to work harder and uh so that was the ingredient and that's what inspired me to kind of take this into the public sector and uh, work with individuals and the common denominator of uh, any of my private clients i've had so many successful private clients so it's an honor for me to kind of be the only one to tell them what to do for that hour <laughs> and uh, but the common denominator i see is they they put fitness as a um, front and center as a daily routine in their life. And uh, and so I kind of reciprocate and just kind of honor them by being the guy that uh, is the only one that they were allowed to say what to do. <laughs> so I always like that. What was it like being a, uh, this international from being a, a brutal wrestler, you know, you know, making the transition from the wrestling mat and going into the, the beauty world? <laughs> hey, uh, you know, it's, it was um, it was amazing to be around all the world's beautiful women and uh, the supermodels and uh, you know going on being in product advertisements and you know knowing that not many wrestlers even if they'd won the Olympics weren't going to be on the cover of the Wheaties box or anything except for you know Kale Sanderson ended up on there but he's oh won. did he wow but uh, you know so it was neat I was on cover of fashion magazines, sports magazines, and all kinds of ads and work in all the major markets around the world and Milan and Tokyo and Paris and Zurich and, uh, uh, you know, just going off on uh, all different amazing exotic shoots on cruise lines down to Acapulco to just, uh, just, you know, South Pacific islands. Uh, so it's just, it's been amazing. It was, a, it was, really kind of neat to be part of and um, mm -hmm. 
you know, like, and I told you earlier, I, one of the perks that came out of it, I met my wife, Kirsten. And uh, so it's been really cool. There's uh, friends in that business I keep in touch with. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great athletes, uh, a lot of surfers and, you know, a couple of football players, different kind of guys that have come from different walks of life. And it was at a time when, when uh, the photographer that I started working with had had kind of changed the whole industry. He shot all the mm -hmm. Calvert Klein and Ralph Lauren stuff. And uh, he was the guy that was looking for kind of real men, athletic backgrounds, not just cookie cutter models, you know, yeah. you know, guys with broken nose like me and, uh, you know, my having, having a face that's been stitched up in eight different places. So yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. funny to think that all of a sudden, People You're, love that. People love that, especially um, the women. <laughs> doing covers of um, different fashion magazines and, and being in product ads or when you're in Tokyo and being in all the TV commercials. And uh, and so doing the runway shows like at the Eiffel Tower in Paris, um, New Year's to televised nationwide. And uh, just amazing, amazing journey. And kind of a, I feel fortunate to have kind of experienced that. I called it getting my master's degree and running around in life, around the world in life. So yeah, how many years? How many years was that for? That was like five years of work. Five, five years. years, wow! Amazing, yeah. amazing experience. Yeah, it's interesting because both of you were discovered in in kind of interesting ways. You know, Buddy was uh, what what you you were at a uh, a dance contest, right? <laughs> Gene Mills at the Olympic Training Center got me to go to the uh, the club and stuff, so he got me to go to you know, try out for this dance contest with the jump rope. And that was the the beginning of something amazing. Yeah. And I won the dance contest and, and Gene said, if you win, we got to split the money. So he still <laughs> reminds me of that. So I split the money with him and he tells the story to all his kids and everybody. And uh, and then the next day they did a, uh, a press release. And then from there, ABC, CBS, they did something um, nationally. And, um, and then it just went viral. Yeah, amazing experience. So I started having the John hammerhand experience traveling all around the globe and stuff and uh it was just an amazing experience yeah you have an amazing story and uh it's very motivating talking about motivation and uh when when you came in and, and uh, shared your story and uh what you do with my group of fitness professionals that i put together there yeah, and, yeah uh, thanks for having me man that was absolutely. fun absolutely yeah, tell them real. Tell so, uh, everybody about your the clubs. I mean, you lifeline, lifetime fitness. You used to run. Yeah, or I'm not associated. With them. I, I, I'm not associated with them right now. I just have my own kind of uh, health and wellness business, PrivateTraining.com. PrivateTraining.com. Okay. Yeah. Is my is my wellness business. So I'm I'm working with individuals and organizations uh, to kind of keep them healthy. What can we get if we may get uh, trained by you? So what do we expect to get? Everything, nutrition, fitness, mindset. What do we get? Four, four pillars, I'd say. Uh, nutrition, flexibility, which is often an overlooked pillar of fitness, cardiovascular, and strength. So I, I focus on those four pillars. But when I think of flexibility, I'm thinking about uh, 360 de degrees of wellness, you know, because uh, when that stretch time is really kind of just kind of a meditative and it's, uh, you know, for me, it's kind of channeling the good spirits that I've been shown through my near-death experience, channeling it to others. And uh, so I kind of, uh, I think is kind of a 
full circle approach with the mind and body. And uh, nice. And uh, I, I'm also kind of teaching. I'm also teaching a curriculum to high school kids at a private school here in Alpharetta. So I'm teaching mm -hmm. them to really focus and hone in on those four pillars of health and fitness so they can take ownership of their health and fitness for life. Because so many kids these days are suffering from anxiety and, and things mm -hmm. like that. And I've, yeah. I've seen it or, or I'm working with kids, uh, you know, trying to overcome addictions and, and really a positive uh, addiction like fitness is something that can really help balance things out. So I'm a big advocate for that. And right, it's awesome. something that I'm trying, trying to do. Yeah. So if you wanted to give advice to, uh, to high school kids who want to win state championships to get, let's focus on that for a second here. What would you say to a high school student who wants to, to win a state title? First thing I would say is to be ready to do the extra work, you know, to do, you know, at least get to, get to, um, get, take the opportunity of the uh, clubs that or around now, uh, I think that's important. And uh, I think really to kind of have fun at, at it and not get caught up too much in a losing way because I, I think we were speaking earlier that the time I had my breakthrough was when I went up three weight classes, but I put the work in. I knew I deserved to be there. Uh, you know, challenge the best guys in the room, learn how to drill. Kids don't know how to drill. I know... Um, it's, it's hard to teach kids to drill, but but you that's where it becomes a team sport. You've got to have a partner that understands drilling and give you good feels and, uh, you know, just keep getting in those situations and kind of almost play wrestling a lot. you got to be able to do that with each other and kind of just get your situations and just over and over reps, reps, reps. And uh, I would say for me, my breakthrough at the college level when – Uh, uh, the NC was like, we could come back at some point for a fourth on my own and do stuff against the dummy on the Adam takedown machine and do doubles until my nose was bleeding. And then I'd do dog crawls, hands and knees up and down that long Penn State room and just stuff like that until I, I just dropped and there was nothing left except a few tears coming out of my eyes. And that's when I knew I'd paid the price and I deserved to beat defending national champ like Matt Reese or or things like that because in those tough situations you got to know that you've prepared and that you've mm -hmm. and that you've given every little bit that you have so if you want to be good and win the state in this sport there's a lot of opportunities now there's so many different divisions in all these states and Georgia's I think there's eight possibilities of being a state champion wow. six wow. or six, <laughs> seven different possibilities you know wow. divisions so yeah. You got to get that state title, but then, you know, set your sights higher. But if you want to do it, just pay the price and don't blame it on anybody else. When, what? when you so early on, you really set your sights beyond a state title because you were taken to the NCAA tournament and you were already thinking about that post high school career, weren't you? Yeah, which and really what drove me, I really. I mentioned we were six kids in our family, and my dad was a scientist, worked for the federal government. He was a Marine that went into the war at age 17, so I had a lot of respect for him. 
but he was he worked hard and got his PhD. And uh, and knew was there that and then we're going to get a college education. The thing was, I wanted to pay my own way through college, so that's why my my emphasis was to I wanted to do well enough in high school that schools would notice me and make an investment and in, in me making my own way through college. So that was that was a big factor for me doing all the extra work. I really wanted to kind of you mm -hmm. know. Interviews on my own in, in college. I didn't want my parents having the foot of bill, and I wanted yeah. to explore different opportunities. I changed majors about three times because I was the one paying the bills, so I didn't have to call home and say I'm changing majors or whatever this and that. So I was proud of that aspect of what the sport offered me, being mm -hmm. able to have a full out-of-state scholarship at a school like Penn State. Here's a got a question for you. Um, You've been, uh, you're also not just a wrestler, a uh, star wrestler, but um, you've been a coach, American University. Um, I guess you you saw their first national champion, um, also probably Penn State, you were coaching, but what advice do you have for a coach in coaching a kid to become not just a one-time state champion, but a two-time state champion or whatever? What kind of advice do you have for the coach? I think uh, what helped me was, was my high school coach. He was great and uh, just filled me with great technical knowledge. And uh, he came to the whole Granby system. It was um, on mm -hmm. one of the rival schools, Norview. But so technically he had me well prepared, but he, his best advice was before I went off to Penn State, he said, now forget everything and go in that room like you have to relearn everything. And I think I kind of humbled myself that way and came in the room just with just to relearn everything. And I did relearn a step. I, 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 I kept one. I learned at Penn State to keep one foot as a push foot, one as a lead foot, almost like a fencer's attack. But you know what? He prepared me so well. And I think the uh, head coach saw that. Coach Lorenzo saw that because many times when he pulled into technique, he'd have me as a young freshman demonstrate certain positions. And so um, I think kind of humbling yourself and kind of relearn everything. And you, not as a coach wants to kind of make everybody into their own image or cookie cutters, but just, you know, buddy, and, and, and I, knew, I know you know, Will, that just it's the basics that work at, at any level. It's that hard-nosed hard double, that hard-nosed single that knowing not to chase after throws and to really have your bread and butter. And then that down position in folk style wrestling, there's nothing like it. It just takes, you need, you need a sports psychiatrist to help you get the right, <laughs> the right state of mind when you go in there. Yeah. They tell us, you go, you go take that bottom position, picture yourself going into a tank of water. You're going to suffocate under there. You don't yeah. get up and out of there. So, That's and that right. was, that's the last, that was the last bastion for me to kind of get, get off the bottom and just, uh, yeah, heck yeah. people and stuff. So I think, uh, you know, talking to coach Gable once he, I asked him what his secret was and he told me, he told me it was, he'd find, he'd get to know each of his athletes and try to find some unique aspect that he could connect with them and what, and what, how to really motivate them. So he, I know uh, 
there's probably no better advice than to really look at each individual, what their strengths and weaknesses are and work with them on those. Nice. Well said. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're getting to the end here. want to really thank you for, for coming on to the show today. Were there any thoughts that you wanted to, to, to add buddy or, uh, or John, anything either you guys want to uh, want to talk about today? Well, let John go and then I'll just say something after him. I just, uh, you know, it's it's an honor to speak with you guys. I have such an affection for Virginia wrestling, even though I'm down here in Georgia and I've kind of crisscrossed the nation, living in <laughs> L.A., New York City and Miami and Atlanta. But uh, I always have an affection for Virginia wrestling. I continue to follow it, keep in close contact with the uh, my connections up there and I look forward to getting up there and uh, visiting with my friends up there when I can. Nice. Well, I want to say, um, John, just congratulations for pursuing and continuing the, your, your sport of wrestling, our sport and doing great things in the sport, just being a great ambassador for the sport. Um, I, my only regret is that I wish that you were my teammate and we would have had a great time being teammates just to be able to have a, you know, a guy with your mindset and toughness. And, um, you know, it would just been, it would have been great. And, um, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show. And because you're still training, you're going to get your buddy Lee jump rope. <laughs> you just go on my site and you choose what you want and we'll send it out to you so that you can continue to stay fit and strong. Absolutely. Say hello to the family and um, and um, continue continue to do great things. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, we'll. Thanks again, John. Yeah, we love we love focusing on people who have success on the mat and beyond the mat, and I think you are a perfect example of that. One more pitch from my book. It's called Wrestling with Angels. Go buy it's it. Right. Story. It's available anywhere. Picture me and my boys on the back and. Okay. Uh, my boys say hi, and uh, my wife sends her love to you, buddy. And Will, yes. pleasure speaking with you guys. Same here. This All is right, a lot I'll begin the book. <laughs> Can't wait to read it. Say hi to Arturo for me. Oh, I will. I'll call yes. him. Right now.